Welcome to our service this evening. Thank you for making it a priority, commitment to pray and to learn. Thank you for being online. Let's take our hymn books and go to number 46, Ferris Lord Jesus. in prayer. Father, we thank you for our beautiful Savior. Thank you for his sacrifice in our behalf and his willingness to take our place upon that cross and die for our sins. We thank you, Father, for his love for us. Thank you for your love in sending your Son. I pray, Father, that we would respond and love for you. It would be that love that would motivate us to serve you and to do so faithfully. We recognize, Father, that to be motivated merely by obligation is not sufficient. Truly being motivated by love is what you would desire from us, and I pray that that would be our heart 
We thank you for this time together tonight that we can meet and bring our requests to you. Again, Father, you tell us in your word that you know our need before we ask. And yet you delight in our asking because it represents a humility on our part. And I pray that we would indeed come in that humility as we would ask of you. We also recognize that in our asking that we are truly helpless. But with you, all things are possible. You are the sovereign God in control. And we come to you with that acknowledgement and that recognition with our request this evening. We do pray, Father, for our teens as they are meeting tonight. We do so every week because we just want our teens to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Those who are not saved, we want to see them come to know Christ as their Savior. We want to manifest your love to them. And I pray, Father, that even in their time and your word tonight, that they would glean the truths from it that you would have for them. Pray for our kids for truth tonight as well. And I pray, Father, that you would use this time in their young lives to draw them closer to yourself. Help them, Father, to grow up to love you, to desire to serve you, and to just be faithful in their walk with you. May we as adults be examples to them. May they look to us and recognize ones who are completely committed and dedicated and surrendered to you. Ones who are desirous of bringing honor and glory to your holy name. That they would see our love for them and that that would be an example to them in their walk with you. For you've commanded us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. In our time together tonight, I pray, Father, that you would guide us in the study of your word. May we know the truth of your word and then apply that truth to our hearts and to our lives. I pray, Father, that we would examine our own hearts and lives so that we'd make proper application and that we might grow through the study of your word. We thank you for our business meeting last night as a church. Thank you for the way you've blessed us. Thank you for the good reports. Thank you, Father, for the prospects of this coming year. And certainly it is not in ourselves, and we are certainly not sufficient in ourselves, but our sufficiency is in Christ. We anticipate a good year only because you are the one that's in control. You've promised that you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. I pray, Father, that we'd be truly a church of Jesus Christ with him as the head, that we'd be in total submission and surrender to you. And certainly, Father, the church cannot be what we are not individually. So I pray that each one of us would be surrendered to you and that we'd be committed to you in every aspect of our lives, not keeping back any corner for ourselves, not keeping a, a closet that is private for ourselves, and, but completely given over to you, 
so that you can do as you would please in our hearts and in our lives. Again, Father, we are grateful for your love for us. We are grateful for your blessings upon us. And I pray that we would turn to you in every situation in our lives. And when we lack wisdom, that we'd come asking of you, recognizing that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will continue in prayer. Let's bow our heads, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity where we can come and study your word to learn of the needs of our fellow believers here in this church. We do thank you for the many blessings you've given to us how you have led us and how we desire to know you more fully that we may be able to follow you into this coming year. Help us with the decisions that we need to make as a church and as individuals and as a family. Help us to come alongside. May we be the paraclete that your son has been to us, that your Holy Spirit will guide us to help those that we um, know and those that we may soon know, give us wisdom in the decisions that we need to make. We do pray for the teens as they meet tonight. May this be the night that your word becomes truth to them, that they may be able to turn their life over to you and desire to lead a life that is pleasing to you. Help them as they strive through this day and through this coming year. We do pray also for the kids group and for the leaders. Help them as they raise up these youngsters to be able to understand your word, to lay it in their hearts, to keep their minds focused on it, and to be able to um, please you in the walk that you have led them on. We do thank you, Lord, for um, the good meeting we had last night for the decisions that were made and help us as we strive through this year that we'll not use that as a guideline but we'll seek you in all the decisions that we need to make help us to do what is wise with those things you have granted to us and may you be pleased with what we have done but more more than that Lord may we Seek you with our whole heart that we may live a life that shines you through us. That we may, <clears throat> that we may be a mirror of you. That the world may see you through us. And that this day, we may be able to say that you are guiding our every step. We do pray, Lord, for this evening that we'll be able to understand your word as it is brought forth to us, give Don the words to speak, and help us to be able to lead a life that is pleasing to you. We ask in Jesus' name.
Dear Father, thank you for the ability to meet tonight, and thank you so much for your love to us and the love in this room for one another. Your word says that they will know us as believers, as Christians, by our, our love. So, Lord, may we express the love that has been expressed to us through Christ and through your spirit. May we choose other people ahead of ourselves on a daily basis, even hour by hour, minute by minute, understanding the selfless love that Jesus gave is something that is to be mimicked, to be copied, but by your power to be able to be done. Thank you, Lord, for, for your love. And we know that as the world sees us, when they see our love for one another and they see our love even for our enemies, as the scripture says, it's, it's amazing what it will do to open eyes. That's only a work you can do in us by your grace. So we pray that you please do that, that good work in us, Lord. Thank you so much as has been prayed tonight for our business meeting last night. Thank you for the unity. Um, it's just a, a wonderful, beautiful thing to see a, a church family humbly listening to you and really felt that last night with the, the group that met. We pray for those that were voted into the various offices that you give them the strength and wisdom to do their very best. Thank you for them. And we pray for the um, physical property here that we are looking to take care of. We pray, God, that you would lead as we spend toward that in this year, that, that your will would be done, and we do so in wisdom, and Lord, in your grace, that it, we things that we do would be affordable, but at the same time, we trust you for, for all of our, our money. Certainly, you can you give and you take away, blessed be your name, and so we, we just trust you in those things. Father, we, we pray for some of the decisions made last night that were outreach in nature. May we follow through, do our very best. Um, help us, Lord, as, as we see people come into our building to, to reach out to them and continue to, to show love to our guests and, and help them to feel welcome. And we pray that uh, we would be equipped in, in the best way that we can through our outreach outside of the building, not only to those online, but also to um, the, through the events that we plan to do this year to reach our community and, and beyond. Help us to do so to the best of our ability, to your glory. For the missionaries that we support, thank you so much, Father, that we can support a number of them throughout many places in the world, near and far. Um, may we do our part in praying for them and supporting, encouraging, letter, phone call, message, text, whatever it may be. Help us to do our part. Thank you so much for their sacrifice and getting out and working hard to reach souls for you. We don't take for granted what you have given us, and we pray that uh, as we work our way through this year that we would continue to, to listen to you and to put self aside and to um, embrace the bride of Christ. Thank you so much that you love us the way you do. Thank you so much for the relationship picture that you give us as, as being your bride. But as bride, we still thankfully, gladfully, Humbly bow before your son, Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord. Thank you. We love you, Lord. Give us a good night as we continue to, to listen and to learn and to pray with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.
We're turning to Ezekiel 17. Been working our way through three parables that Ezekiel has given in chapters 15, 16, and 17. Chapter 15 was the parable of the vine. Chapter 16 was a parable of a child maturing to adulthood and marriage. Of course, God makes a comparison between himself and Israel. We come to chapter 17 and we have a parable of two eagles. And to understand this parable, we need to have an understanding of history. And I real quickly gave a little bit of that history last week, just as we were concluding, but let me refresh your memory. In 605 B.C., the Babylonians came against Judah and Jerusalem, and they defeated Judah and took captive King Jehoiakim and took him captive back to Babylon along with some others, including Daniel. That was in 605 B.C. Eight years later, in 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came back to defeat Judah and Jerusalem once again. This time they took King Jehoiachin captive back to Babylon, and that's the time when Ezekiel himself was taken captive back to Babylon, 597 B.C. At that time, Nebuchadnezzar set King Zedekiah up as a vassal king. He's a king over Judah, but was subservient to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. A certain amount of self-rule, but uh, certainly, again, it was uh, under the authority of the Babylonians. Zedekiah served as king under Nebuchadnezzar for a number of years, but he chose to rebel. He had made a, a covenant with Nebuchadnezzar that uh, they would serve him, Nebuchadnezzar made a covenant that he would protect Judah as they served him. But Zedekiah chose to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar to break that covenant. He turned to Egypt for help. He broke the treaty that he had made with the Babylonians and made a treaty with the Egyptians. The Egyptians promised that they would come and defend Judah if the Babylonians came against them. Well, sure enough, the Babylonians did come to put down Zedekiah's rebellion. As the Babylonians came, Egypt did not come. They did not keep their bargain with Judah and keep their treaty. They did not come to defend Judah. So in 586 B.C., the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, tore down the wall, uh, tore down the temple, took Zedekiah, the king, captive back to Babylon, along with many other captives, and it was then in Babylonia that Zedekiah was killed by the Babylonians. So that's, that's the history. That's the history we need to understand as we come to this parable of the two eagles. Verse 1 of chapter 17, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, and remember, this parable was given prior to that history taking place. This is prophecy. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, put forth a riddle, and speak a parable unto the house of Israel. And say, Thus says the Lord God, A great eagle 
with great wings, long-winged, full of feathers, which had various colors, came unto Lebanon and took the highest branch of the cedar. He cropped off the top of its young twigs and carried it into a land of trade and set it in a city of merchants. He took also of the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field. He placed it by great waters and set it like a willow tree. And it grew, became a spreading vine of low stature, whose branches turned toward him, and its roots were under him. So it became a vine and brought forth branches and shot forth sprigs. This first eagle, this eagle that says has great wings, long-winged, full of feathers, this is Nebuchadnezzar or the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon. He's the great eagle. The long wings represents the, the far reach of the Babylonian empire. And he comes to Lebanon. Uh, that was a term sometimes used with reference to Jerusalem or, or more specifically to the Temple Mount. And I say that because if you remember in the building of the temple, they got cedars from Lebanon. And so sometimes, it, uh, and so in this parable, this Lebanon is referring to, to Jerusalem or maybe more specifically even the Temple Mount. But he comes to, to Lebanon, to Jerusalem, took the highest branch of the cedar. Um, I believe this highest branch of the cedar is referring to the house of David. Uh, David was the, the first king of, of uh, well, he's the second king of Israel, but he was from Judah, and he was the first king of, of the tribe of Judah. And so he is the, the highest branch of the cedar would be the house of David. And he cropped off the top of its young twigs, that is King Jehoiachin. This is in 597 B.C., and this this twig that was taken from the top would have been King Jehoiachin at that time. He takes this, this uh, cropped off the top of its young twigs, King Jehoiachin was of the house of David, carried it into a land of trade, he set it in a city of merchants, that would be Babylonia, uh, Babylon. Um, it was a city of trade, it was a city of merchants. And King Jehoiachin was taken captive back to Babylon. That was in 597 B.C. And Ezekiel was taken captive at that time. Took also of the seed of the land. Planted it in a fruitful field. Placed it by great waters and set it like a willow tree. That's referring to Zedekiah. Nebuchadnezzar, when he took Jehoiachin captive... He established Zedekiah as the king, a vassal king, subservient to Nebuchadnezzar. But he did set him up. He was of the seed of the land. That is, Zedekiah was of the house of David also, of the seed of David, so of the seed of the land. He planted it in a fruitful field. He allowed Zedekiah to be king over Judah, placed it in great waters and set it. They, they had a certain amount of self-rule. They could flourish to a certain extent under uh, or being subservient to Nebuchadnezzar. It grew and became a spreading vine of low stature. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to let Judah rise to great heights. 
They weren't going to become a mighty kingdom, but he was going to let them grow, low stature, but they could grow. They could flourish to that extent. Branches turned toward him, that is, toward the eagle, toward Babylon. And its roots were under him. Um, again, they, they, were, they were subservient to the Babylonians. So it became a vine and brought forth branches and shot forth sprigs. They, they flourished somewhat in that condition. They had made this covenant with the Babylonians, and the Babylonians made a covenant with them. They would protect them as long as they served them. And so there was a certain amount of self-rule and a certain amount of flourishing, though certainly the Babylonians would keep them down to a certain extent. But they did, they did grow. Um, jump down to verse 11, and verses 11 through 14 kind of explain what I just explained. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Say now to the rebellious house, Do you not know what these things mean? Tell them, Behold, the king of Babylon is come to Jerusalem, and he has taken her king and her princes and led them with him to Babylon. King Jehoiachin taken to Babylon, captive. He is taken of the king's seed, that is Zedekiah, made a covenant with him and has taken an oath of him. He has also taken the mighty of the land. So he set up Zedekiah as this vassal king and made a covenant with him. They made this, this treaty between them. That the kingdom might be base and it might not lift itself up, but that by keeping his covenant, it might stand. So it was going to stand as a kingdom. Zedekiah would rule, but it would not rise up to be a mighty power. The Babylonians would keep it, as it says here, keep it base if you will. So he's explaining the parable in verses 11 through 14. Do you have any questions about that, that first eagle? Does that make sense? That history? All right. Back to verse 7. There is also another great eagle with great wings and many feathers. Behold, this vine did bend its roots toward him shot forth its branches toward him that he might water it by the furrows of its plantation. It was planted in a good soil by great waters that it might bring forth branches and that it might bear fruit, that it might be a well-favored vine. Do you say, thus says the, say you, thus says the Lord God, shall it prosper? Shall he not pull it up by its roots and cut off its fruit that it wither? It shall wither in all the leaves of its spring. Even without great power, many people to pluck it up by its roots. Yes, behold, being planted, shall it prosper? Shall it not utterly wither when the east wind touches it? It shall wither in the furrows where it grew. Verse 7, there's a, another eagle. Great wings, many feathers. Notice up in verse 3, it said, Great wings, long winged, full of feathers. But with reference to this eagle, it's great wings and many feathers. It doesn't say long wings. This great eagle is the Egyptians, Pharaoh of the Egyptians. Um, they did not have the far reach that the Babylonians did. Babylonian Empire was the real powerhouse at this time, and the Egyptians were a powerhouse, but not, they didn't have the far reach that the Babylonians did. And so this eagle does not have the long wings like the uh, first eagle 
It says this vine did bend its roots toward him. Zedekiah, the vine, starts to bend its roots and its branches toward Egypt. And they break the covenant that they had made with the Babylonians. Uh, Earlier on it says that the branches were, were bending towards that first eagle, the Babylonians. But now it's bending towards this second eagle, which represents the Egyptians. Verse 8, it was planted in good soil by great waters that it might bring forth branches, that it might bear fruit, that it might be a well-favored vine. In other words, uh, the Babylonians really did give Judah everything they needed to survive, to survive as a kingdom. Not a mighty kingdom, but still a kingdom. Gave them everything they needed for that and even promised protection. But they turned to Egypt. So God raises the question, is it going to prosper? Are the Babylonians Babylonians going to let them just break the covenant that they had made with them and let them turn to Egypt? And in this parable, God says they're not going to prosper. This first eagle, it says in the middle of verse 9, it shall wither in all the leaves of its spring, even without great power, many people to pluck it up by its roots. When the Babylonians came in 586 B.C. to destroy Jerusalem, it didn't take their whole army. They were a powerful army. Judah was almost nothing. And with the Egyptians breaking their treaty with Judah, the Babylonians didn't need much. And so it was, uh, it was not with great power or many people. They were able to destroy Jerusalem quite easily. It, it took a little while. I mean, Jerusalem had its walls. And it took them a while to, to build up the, the ramps to get up over the walls and all. But it was not a, 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 you know, it was a foregone conclusion before it even started. And so uh, it says there in verse 10, Yes, behold, being planted, shall it prosper? Shall it not utterly wither? When the east wind touches it, the Babylonians were to the east of Jerusalem. And so the east wind is the Babylonians coming to destroy Jerusalem. Back to verse 15. We see this. But he rebelled against them, that is Zedekiah, rebelled against him in sending his ambassadors into Egypt, that they might give him horses and many people. Shall he prosper? Shall he escape that does such things? Or shall he break the covenant and be delivered? God's saying, is is Zedekiah going to be able to break the covenant that he made with the Babylonians and and expect to survive and and prosper? As I live, says the Lord God, surely in the place where the king dwells who made him king, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, even with him in the midst of Babylon, shall he die. That's exactly what happened. Zedekiah was taken captive back to Babylon, and he was killed in Babylon. And it says here to Uh, The one who made him king, that is Nebuchadnezzar, who made Zedekiah king, a vassal king, a subservient king, but he made him king. That same king now kills Zedekiah. Remember, this is prophecy. This hadn't happened yet when Ezekiel says this. But history tells us that's exactly what happened. The the preciseness of prophecy uh, is always amazing in Scripture. And whenever I think about that preciseness of prophecy as it relates to what we can now look back on and say, this is history, but the prophecy was fulfilled precisely, we now look back at prophecy that prophesies what's yet future for us. 
And we can say the same thing, that that which is prophesied, which is yet future for us, is going to be just as precise as the prophecy that was given that is now history to us. It was very precise. And so when we come to prophecy and we look to the future, we can see that Scripture is very precise. The prophecy will be fulfilled just exactly as God said it would. And we see that here. This is prophecy. But it's history for us now, and we can see how it was fulfilled precisely. Verse 17, Neither shall Pharaoh with his mighty army and great company help him in war by casting up siege mounds and building forts to cut off many persons. He says, Egypt's not going to help you. You're going to go to Egypt, and you're going to make a treaty with them, and you're going to expect them to come and defend you when the Babylonians come. Guess what? They're not going to come. They're not going to help you. And when it actually happened, they didn't come. Verse 18, seeing he despised the oath by breaking the covenant, when lo, he had given his hand and had done all these things, he shall not escape. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely my oath that he has despised and my covenant that he has broken, even it will I recompense upon his own head. When Zedekiah made this covenant with the Babylonians, he called upon his God, Jehovah or Yahweh, as a witness. God was going to hold Zedekiah to that covenant. When we make promises, God expects us to stick to it. Zedekiah made a promise. He called God in as a witness. And he's breaking that promise and God's holding him accountable. On several occasions, God, through the prophets, warned Zedekiah, do not go to Egypt. Do not break the covenant that you made with Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah warned Zedekiah about that. In this prophecy, Ezekiel is warning Zedekiah not to break that covenant. But he does anyway. God holds him accountable. Therefore, verse 19, Therefore thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely my oath that he has despised. Jehovah says it's my oath. You took an oath in my name, and you're despising it. You're breaking it. Surely my oath that he has despised, and my covenant that he has broken, even it will I recompense upon his own head. And I will spread my net upon him, and he shall be taken in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon, and will enter into judgment with him there for his trespass that he has trespassed against me. And all his fugitives with all his bands shall fall by the sword, and they that remain shall be scattered toward all winds, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that I the Lord have spoken it. And so th those who were there to protect Zedekiah, they were all killed. And then those who remained that weren't killed, they were spread to the winds, it says here, scattered. They were taken captive. Ezekiel, again, uh, had already been taken captive. But in 586, when Zedekiah was taken captive, that's when most everyone was taken out of Judah. Just the extremely very poor were left in Judah. Jeremiah being one that was left. Any questions? Again, the, 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 the real point I want to make in this is, is how uh, 
this was prophecy, and we are now able to look back on it as history and see how exact it was in the prophecy. Notice verse 22. This is where the hope comes in. You know, often in prophecy, and especially in Ezekiel, um, he, he gives this, this prophecy of judgment, but he ends with hope. And we see that often throughout the Old Testament prophecy and, and here in Ezekiel. He ends in hope. Thus says Lord God, I will also take of the highest branch of the high cedar. We said earlier that highest branch of the high cedar was the house of David. I'll take of the highest branch of the high cedar and will set it out. And I'll crop off from the top of its young twigs a tender one. And will plant it upon a high mountain and imminent. This is God now speaking. He said, I'm going to take of that house of David. I'm going to take a twig. I'm going to take a branch from it. And I'm going to plant that branch. I'm going to plant it on a mountain. In the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it. And it shall bring forth boughs and bear fruit. And be a well-favored cedar, and under it shall dwell all fowl of every wing. In the shadow of its branches shall they dwell. This can be speaking of nothing, uh, no one other than Christ. Of the house of David, God's going to take a branch. We know in the Old Testament, the, the Messiah was referred to as the branch. And he's going to take a branch of that house of David. He's going to set it upon a high mountain, Mount Zion. In Jerusalem, he's going to establish his throne in the mountain of the heights of Israel. And I'm going to plant it, and it's going to become a, a great cedar. And all the fowls of the air are going to come and be under that great cedar. That can be nothing more than Christ being set upon his throne in Jerusalem, reigning over the entire earth. And so he ends with hope. And he says in verse 24, And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree, have exalted the low tree, have dried up the green tree, and have made the dry tree to flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it. Um, the trees here in this parable are nations. This great cedar, verse 23, is, is the nation of Israel, with Christ ruling over the entire earth. But as he says here then in, the, in verse 24, the, the trees of the field, well, that's the other nations. And God in His sovereignty, He will raise up the nations that He wants to raise up and He will, will, will lower the nations that He wants to lower. He will exalt some and He will bring down the others because He is sovereign, He's in control. And He will raise up the nations that He wishes to raise and He will bring down the nations He wishes to bring down. Um, in Daniel chapter 4, we read that Christ rules in the kingdom of men. He is in control, and He will raise up nations, and He will bring down nations according to His will, and He will establish Christ upon His throne, and He will rule over the, the entire earth. So he, Ezekiel ends this, these three parables of judgment, but he ends on this positive note that there is one who's coming, the branch is coming, and He will establish His throne and His kingdom. Have any questions or comments? That's probably a very good place for us to stop tonight.
but uh, there's hope. You know, we look at our own situation today and our own nation and uh, the world in which we live, and uh, God's still in control, and He's going to raise up nations, and He's going to bring down nations, but ultimately, the branch is coming, and He will rule, and He will sit upon His throne, and we have hope. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we're so grateful tonight for the hope that is ours in Christ. Certainly it would be very discouraging, even depressing, if all we had was was this world. And if all we had was just hope in man. But our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in you. And as you have prophesied, it will come to pass exactly as you have stated. We see that from the past. And we look forward to that in the future. As you fulfill your word, as you fulfill your promises, and as you do exactly as you have said you would do. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.